Today, every answer matters more than ever before. Because whether it's about health, deliveries, or finance, some things just can't wait. That's why IBM is helping businesses manage millions of calls, texts, and chats with Watson Assistant. It's conversational AI designed to help your customers find the answers they need faster, no matter the industry. Let's put smart to work. Visit ibm.com slash watsonassistant to learn more. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer America. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. How the heck does this market keep roaring? while there's still so much despair over the coronavirus. There's a seething anger sweeping this country, and it's directed point blank at Wall Street. This relentless rally seems unfair, it seems senseless, and it seems heartless. Thousands of people are dying, and money managers are cheering the most enthusiastic stock comeback in living memory. Dow gaining another 559 points today. S&P climbing 3.06%. NASDAQ pulling almost 4%, 3.96%. How the heck is that even possible? Well, why don't we start with people's Exhibit A against both me and the market. Here's a picture from last week when the wild rally had been cemented in the history books. The Dow's best week since 1938. Then my head. Then breaking news. More than 16 million Americans have lost jobs in three weeks. 16 million. Full disclosure, I didn't order this curious juxtaposition to show you how heartless I am. Well, I'd rather have stocks go up than go down because most of you own stocks and are not short sellers. Believe me, there is no joy in Stockville right now. And I agree it's messed up. But the contrast between a roaring stock market and an obliterated job market does tell you a lot about what's happening at this moment. First, every branch of our government can see what's happening. They know 16 million jobs lost is unconscionable. So the Fed, Treasury, White House, Congress, they're pulling out all the stops. If you qualify, the Treasury's putting money in your hands this week, a $1,200 check for every taxpayer who's made less than 99000 last year. They're also tiding over small businesses with low-interest loans, and those loans will be forgiven as long as you don't lay off your employees. That's all in the $2.2 trillion rescue package. Meanwhile, maybe even more important, the Federal Reserve's pumping $2.3 trillion into the economy by purchasing all sorts of bonds, including junk bonds, allowing marginal enterprises to stay afloat. They're also buying municipal bonds, which is huge because cities won't have to make massive budget cuts at the worst possible time. And now Treasury and the airlines just agreed to an aid package, setting another group of stocks roaring. If you want to know why the Dow had its best week since 1938, it is very simple. The 30 stocks in the Dow are mega caps. They're big businesses, big businesses that thrive when money comes into the market, whether it be through the Fed, the Treasury, Congress. And when they come together to boost the economy, it's the big caps that do the best. You've got to understand, the Dow is not supposed to be representative of the broader economy. There are no nail salons or barber shops or auto mechanics in the major indices. We're not trading luncheonettes here. 
maybe it would feel more just if big business was getting crushed along with everyone else, like we saw during the Great Recession. But when big business gets crushed, you get a lot more layoffs. You don't want to cut off your nose to spite your face, do you? Do not get me wrong. I love it if the government was a lot more generous to people who work for a living. The $1,200 checks, expanded unemployment benefits, they're great. You can always do more. But make no mistake, we're witnessing an unprecedented attempt by the federal government to try to save the economy. And I cheer it. There are no gangster bankers getting benefits here. There was no rampant speculation like there was in the Roaring Twenties. There's just a global tragedy that happens to be hitting our country particularly hard. Without these huge aid packages, bailouts, whatever you want to call them, I don't want to be pejorative at this point. I think we'd be looking at a much worse situation in the financial crisis that was 2007-2009. It would be something akin to the Great Depression. As far as I'm concerned, anything that stays off a depression is good news. The second reason this market keeps roaring, we got too negative. Remember, it's not like the market's surging to new highs here. We're just partially rebounding from spectacular losses last month. When you want to think about it, remember this. We crashed, and I use that word not lightly, crashed from Dow 29,000 to Dow 18,000 in a couple of days. Stocks were obliterated. The just-released April Bank of America manager survey showed the cash levels are now the highest they've been since all the way back at 9-11. Equity allocations are at the lowest level since 2009. Those were both great buying opportunities. That's incredible. When the federal government took action to rescue the economy, that negativity turns out to be excessive. Now, maybe you think this whole rally is phony because it's propped up by government intervention. I see that every second in my Twitter feed. Now, if you feel that way, hey, I got a, I got a remedy. Uh, go buy some gold. We're in a deflationary moment. Witness the endless decline in oil despite yesterday's 9.7 million barrels per day production cut. Our government's bending over backwards to offset the deflation. And as long as that's the case, well, gold, gold stocks, their buys. Third, let's be brutally honest. There is a real zero-sum exercise going on here, and I don't like it, not one bit. Big business is getting bigger and more powerful, and small to medium-sized businesses are getting obliterated, even as Treasury does its very best to save them. This is terrifying to me, but it is the new normal. Consider the incredible rally in Amazon, which has now surged from 1,676 in mid-March to nearly 2,300 today a new high. Can you imagine how many small businesses will never come back because they've been forced to close and Amazon's now taking their customers? You simply can't beat Amazon on price unless you're another colossus, Walmart. They've got too much scale. Of course, Amazon and Walmart have been crushing mom and pop stores for decades, but the lockdown has thrown fuel in the fire of a process that might have taken years, maybe maybe a decade to play out. I can only think of one way to turn the clock back here, and that's with heavy-handed antitrust enforcement, which I don't see happening anytime soon because then it would raise prices for everybody. Final reason the stock market, it keeps climbing. There is hope, chimerical, maybe, but hope for a vaccine. Later tonight, we're going to hear from Emma Walmsley, the CEO of GlaxoSmithKline, who's formed an alliance with competitor Sanofi to create a vaccine. They might be able to mass produce it maybe at the end of next year. At the same time, Johnson & Johnson reported a star-studded quarter this morning where they talked extensively about the vaccine they're working on. That is certainly ahead. Maybe we're talking about this year and results in the first quarter of next year. It could be that early. Many vaccine candidates are in the offing, even as I think they will be very hard to make. All this is on top of some good news from Gilead about their antiviral remdesivir. Of course, it doesn't mean everything's going to be okay. J.P. Morgan and Wells Fargo terrified me with their talk of gigantic loan losses down the road. I'm not hearing about testing, mass, contact tracing, which are all things needed if we're ever going to reopen 
a, to a robust economy. I doubt the market will revisit its March lows, not with all this money being thrown at it, but wouldn't wouldn't surprise me if we got hit with a pullback, given the fact that we're now getting as overbought as we were oversold. But that's not what the market cares about at this moment. The bottom line, at the end of the day, the stock market's made up of big, huge companies. Not the small to medium-sized businesses that are the backbone of our economy, that are 85% of our economy. You don't have to like it. I know I don't. But it's the big dogs with pristine balance sheets and gigantic scale that can survive this lockdown. Unlike mom and pop outfits, they can afford to go without customers for a very long time. It's unfair. It's wrong. But like it or not, it's reality. Let's go to Dejwa in California. Dejwa. What's going on, Jimmy Cray America? How are you, sir? Hanging in. How about you, partner? Doing all right. Like you said, calling from California, originally from Bucks County, Pennsylvania. I know that's uh, your old stomping ground. You bet I live uh, there. Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Real quick, if you could, before I ask my question, please uh, wish my roommate Gary a happy birthday. He's turning 28. Love your show. Happy birthday. Oh, Thank is that you, time sir. for that? Appreciate your time. Happy birthday. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, and then real quick, my question. So, Outside of Netflix, who do you think the winners for earnings will be? And outside of the banking industry, who do you think the losers will be for earnings coming up this week? Okay, you're going to like anybody who is um, does great in the stay-at-home economy and the, the work-from-home economy. That's the Netflix, and that's the Activision. And, yeah, look, it's the Roku. We all love Roku. It's Teladoc. Good numbers after the close. The losers will be the financials because no one can figure out what the hell they're doing. But thank you for the kind words and happy birthday. Mike in New York. Mike, Mike, Mike. Booyah, Professor Kramer. How you doing? Couldn't be better. How about you, Mike? Me too, me too, me oh, too. So, Action Alerts member here. Yes. I can't wait to, for tomorrow. Conference call tomorrow. Through. Absolutely. We're going to so, rock. What's up? So, that being said, early, earlier this year, we took a position in Activision. Uh, we took our profits and we sold it. Right. I want to know if it's a good time to revisit the stock again since the video game market has seen an increase in gameplay due to COVID-19. Uh, I have seen I listen to Bobby Kotick, the CEO. I've known him for a long time and I have never seen him this bullish. And I have to tell you, that made me think, you know what? Even at 63, I know we sold it at a good trade for charitable trust. It can work. It can work here. Let's go to Reed, please, in California. Reed. Reed. Hey, thank you. Hey, thanks for all you've been doing during these crazy times. And I appreciate you taking my call. Ah, pleasure, Reed. What's up? Hey, my question for you is about American Express. I bought shares a few weeks ago in the low 90s, and I've been hesitant to buy more given the market volatility. This morning, the price fell almost 5% and touched its one-week low. Is now a good time to buy? I didn't like the way it acted after J.P. Morgan and Wells Fargo reported. Uh, They have a lot of travel, leisure, a lot of uh, corporate expenditure. Uh, They have small business. All these, I think, are problematic. I think you should stay away from that one. I don't think it's the right place to be. Look, you may not like it, but we're living in a new reality. The Dow is just not representative of the broader economy. On Mad Money Tonight, GlaxoSmithKline just announced it's teaming up with Sanofi to develop a coronavirus vaccine. How will the two drug giants, usually against each other, help in the fight against the pandemic? I've got the exclusive. Then how is the monetary policy helping certain sectors like defense? I'm going off the charts to find out. And bioreference labs help roll out the first drive-through testing sites in the United States. What is next for bioreference while well, I'm talking to the man in charge? So stay with Kramer. 
Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Jeans. They're an American staple. No article of clothing is more closely linked to our nation's history. Today, denim's a $90 billion industry, but that success didn't come easy. I'm David Brown, the host of Wondery Show Business Wars. We go deep into some of the biggest corporate rivalries of all time. And in our latest series, we're unzipping how Levi's, Lee, and Wrangler managed to take workman's wear from the frontier to the runway and closets around the world. Join us for Denim Wars. Listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or listen ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. If we really want to beat this pandemic, not just contain it, but turn back the clock to a time when we didn't have to worry about the coronavirus, we need a vaccine. Fortunately, this morning, two of the largest players in the vaccine space, GlaxoSmithKline and Sanofi, announced a partnership to do just that and then rapidly scale up production. Now, it will take months before we see any results here, but any progress on this front is a major positive. That's why I was thrilled to sit down with Emma Walmsley. Emma is the terrific CEO of GlaxoSmithKline. It was earlier today. Take a look. Emma, I think this is a pretty historic alliance. Can you tell us what each party brings to the equation? Sure. Well, hi, Jim. And first of all, let me say thank you on behalf of GSK to all the frontline healthcare workers and all the scientists in the world who are working to stop this virus. What we announced today, we think, is an unprecedented collaboration between two of the world's biggest vaccines manufacturers, um, two leaders who are both bringing proven pandemic technologies and scale to develop hopefully an adjuvanted uh, uh, vaccine against COVID-19. Now, an adjuvanted one is, is, is something that makes the difference. So uh, Sanofi are going to contribute their antigen and we are going to contribute uh, our proven pandemic uh, adjuvant. And an adjuvant uh, basically is a booster to the antigen. So you need less of the antigen. So, for example, in the H1N1 uh, epidemic, although you shouldn't do a direct translation, we needed four times less antigen. So you can basically protect more people uh, at scale faster. So that's the goal here. A lot of work to do. But we also, of course, both bring significant manufacturing capacity. And if we're successful, uh, you know, that we're hoping to get to hundreds hundreds of millions of doses uh, by the end of uh, next year. But a lot of work to do. And we're sure the world will need more than uh, one vaccine, considering uh, the state of demand. Emma, why is this particular illness so much more difficult than other things that we've seen you tackle? Well, um, there's an enormous amount we don't know about this virus. Still, and there are scientists and academics in, in both industry and, and beyond it working incredibly hard uh, and, and exchanging data, uh, you know, as fast as we possible to, as we can uh, to understand it. But where you're right is it definitely uh, flags a need for us all to invest in pandemic preparedness for the long term. And that was something that GSK uh, wanted also to announce today. Um, uh, this collaboration is one of seven that we're doing in vaccines uh, for COVID-19. And, and we're committed 
um, uh, when we look at that whole portfolio of vaccines, not to profit from it during this pandemic, but to make sure we're reinvesting in COVID research, um, uh, not just necessarily for COVID-19, but co uh, coronaviruses, uh, and also in long-term pandemic preparedness, be that with GSK's own investments or with un other institutions and, and governments as we start to think about how the world um, can be uh, better ready next time. We think that's a very important contribution for us to make. Now, Emma, I always think of you two companies as competitors. Now, uh, not vicious competitors because you're uh, generally in the way you approach things, but it is rather difficult for me to imagine the collaboration. What happens? I mean, have you, have you already gotten together and realized what your strengths are? Are you, are you going to merge into one room? And the reason I say this is because I, I don't know if people understand how historic it is to get these two companies that are both great at what they do to uh, collaborate in, in a way that is not for money. Well, first of all, um, we still do, do want to make sure that we uh, price responsibly and any short-term uh, uh, profits are invested in, in future research. But now is not the time to be thinking uh, about competition, Jim. You know, this is a crisis, whether or not from a direct health point of view, an indirect health point of view, considering the uh, economic ramifications that we're all uh, just starting to, to realise. Now, every it's all hands on deck, whether that be across the industry, the variety of collaborations, or with various incredibly important institutions uh, like the Gates Foundation, CEPI, the WHO, and governments around the world. I mean, we firmly believe that now is a time to have an approach, from our point of view, that's about partnerships, that is um, about a global approach. Obviously, uh, countries want to make sure they take domestic care, but it really is important that with global supply chains and global insight, we also look after the most popular nations uh, uh, in the world that are going to be hard hit with quite fragile healthcare systems. It's a, it's a time to be looking at a commitment to access, which is um, why uh, we've also said that we would like to be um, donating a certain number of our adjuvants um, uh, to the poorest countries. And again, it, it is really critical that we are thoughtful about investing in long-term pandemic preparedness. Um, you know, this, the, our industry has a really important purpose to both uh, uh, prevent illness and treat it when it comes. And, and I'm, I'm really proud uh, of colleagues uh, and also others that sit around the industry table and how we're pulling together to try and find solutions. And how do you develop your uh, time frame? For instance, J&J &J says, listen, we're going to start it in September. We think we could have something in the first half. You, you folks are talking about second half. I mean, what happens if it's just much more difficult? And, and we've been led to believe that there's going to be something out there. And it turns out to be, you know what, once we found out the facts, this thing is very different from young. It's different for old. Uh, there have been some problems. We know that uh, there, there have been people who have died from vaccines that weren't ready yet. I mean, yeah. what, what gives you the encouragement that there could be something out there? Well, first of all, you're absolutely right, Jim. Um, this is still, um, you know, as with all research uh, in, in uh, medicines and vaccines, there is risk involved, there are no guarantees, and there's a lot of work uh, ahead. Normally, it takes a decade to develop a vaccine, sometimes even longer. And in this case, uh, I suppose where we get a bit more uh, confidence is we are talking about proven 
uh, technologies, whether it be with a protein-based antigen or indeed with this adjuvant. Um, both of them are already licensed. We're also at a time where we're seeing incredible engagement and collaboration from regulators to help us set up the right kind of trials. Uh, and we're investing in capacity uh, at risk as well, because you know, every day lost um, is, is an expensive one from a health point of view uh, and an economic one. Um, so I, I think but it's really important to emphasize that, you know, for those that would wish it was all going to come much faster, we have to guarantee safety here. We have to guarantee efficacy and we have to be thoughtful as an industry on how we're going to get to scale uh, manufacturing, because obviously the global demand is going to be extremely uh, uh, high. And frankly, there will need to be more than one vaccine. So again, it, this is not uh, a time when we're thinking competitively. It's a time uh, uh, when we hope for success for everybody, all the companies, large and small, uh, to be able to move forward. And in the meantime, to have effective uh, bridging treatments too uh, is going to be extremely important to support the health systems and the healthcare workers that are under so much pressure. Would you be willing to be uh, the first person to uh, take it when you do phase one? Uh, I, if it was appropriate, then I would always want to be uh, at the service of uh, the healthcare industry. Well, it, it was an asset because I, I feel like that I'm trying to figure out who gets the vaccine first, I'm trying to figure out what is going to reopen. And I'm very worried. I mean, there's a real pressure here to reopen, uh, but we don't have a vaccine. And I mean, I would love the vaccine so we could I, I could get it reopen. I, someone called me a scaredy cat this morning because we didn't have antibodies. We don't have testing. We don't have contact tracing and we don't have a vaccine. To me, that's kind of the checklist of what we'd like to have before we have everybody just traveling all over the place and uh, and feeling great about themselves. Well, I think it's it's a really important point. I mean, a, there are, you know, hardworking governments all around the world being very thoughtful about what a um, a phased, responsible, disciplined opening uh, can and should look like, uh, while you know protecting the health and well-being of of their citizenry. I think you know it is. Um, increasingly clear that a complete exit uh, from this is going to require um, uh, vaccines at scale, probably antibody thing at scale and a degree of, tr of tracing as well, because uh, as we've seen the tech companies coming through um, uh, with some you know, very uh, positive potential contributions on that side uh, um, uh, as well. But in the meantime, uh, since though all three of those things at scale on a global scale may, may come some time, we are probably going to have um, to adapt to some new ways of, of, of living and working. But there are plenty of uh, profound experts uh, working on thinking about the right way to do that, um, you know, as we cycle out of the, um, well, first of all, flatten uh, the peak infection rate and then cycle out of planning uh, intelligently for that. Well, I want to thank you for what you're doing. And I think people should recognize that the collaboration is historic, unusual, and it's just a testament to the times. But Emma Wamsley, leader in our business, of a leader in business. And uh, it's really important that we saw you put a face to this because it's an amazing thing that you're doing. Thank you so much for coming on Mad Money. Emma Walmsley, CEO of GlaxoSmithKline. Great to see you. Jim, great to see you. Stay well. Okay, you too. Got 
a bit of being a little torn here. Markets probably bottomed thanks to the extraordinary efforts of Congress, Federal Reserve, Treasury. I doubt we'll revisit the lows from a few weeks ago. But I also suspect Wall Street's being a little cavalier about all the damage caused by the pandemic, particularly today. I don't think we'd be able to turn the economy back push a button. If you think we can go back to business as usual next month, I think you're fooling yourself. As anyone who listened to the Wells Fargo or J.P. Morgan conference calls can tell you, I thought they were muted. Put it all together. I think you need to own some stocks here, but you've also got to be careful at this point on what you own after this big rally, which is why I increasingly favor picking individual stocks rather than just throwing money in an index fund, because the difference between the good and the bad is so stark. You don't want anything that's getting blasted by this lockdown. You want stocks that are basically recession-proof. Other than some obvious tech winners, those are what's doing best. That's why tonight we're going off the charts with Bob Lang. He's the founder of ExplosiveOptions.net, as well as being the brilliant technician in the all-star duo behind the Street.com's Trifecta Stocks newsletter and the author of Know Your Options to take a closer look at the defense contractors. That's right. The defense industry is relatively immune to the vicissitudes of the economy. These companies are levered to government spending, and neither party wants to propose cuts to the Pentagon budget during an election year. No way. Meanwhile, we've seen a lot of consolidation. Raytheon just joined forces with United Technologies last week. I haven't talked about that enough. It's really important. Historically, these deals tend to be great for earnings. So let me walk you through some of the largest players in this industry, starting with the daily chart of the new and improved Raytheon which now includes the core aerospace and defense business from the old United Technologies. That's Pratt & Whitney. We love that. The combined company is a powerhouse. What about the stock, though? When the market was rolling over, this thing lost 55% of its value. This was one of the worst performing stocks in the market. It's a matter of weeks. I don't think people understood what it was. Since the lows in mid to late March, though, Raytheon's erased about half of those losses. Meanwhile, the 20-day moving average is turning up. All right, so here we're looking at the green line. You can see that's turning up. Online points out that we've seen some very strong volume in the past few days. That's good. To him, that means big institutional money managers are buying this thing hand over fist. We're also seeing the same thing in what we call the CMF or the check in money flow. Look at this. Measures buying and selling pressure. It's been extremely bullish after really being not so good. Boom. I like that a lot. Best of all, look at the moving average convergence divergence or MACD line. It's an important momentum indicator. Uh, the technicians use to spot changes in the stock's trajectory before they happen. We've used it a lot on the show. At the end of March, Raytheon's MACD made a bullish crossover right there uh, where the black line goes above the red one. That was your signal. Uh, and this is one of the most reliably positive patterns in the book. Put it all together and Lang could see this stock surging to $80. Okay before it runs into any resistance, which is really, you get about 20% gain here. Wow. Uh, and that's why Raytheon is his favorite name in the group. And I've got to tell you, when I saw this, I have been I'm really angry at myself that I did not do the separate, the Otis, uh, which I like, by the way, because in China and because of this one, uh, this is a very, very powerful chart. Let's go uh, look at the one that's been my favorite. Let's take a look at L3 Harris. Like Raytheon, L3, long my favorite in the group, has had a nice run off its lows. So you're not catching it at the bottom. That's very true. Stock's been butting up against the ceiling of resistance at 192. All right. But today it broke out to 107. Put, uh, uh, yo, I'm sorry, to 207. It broke out to 197. My bad. And what you need to see here is that this is a definitive breakout through all these different levels. That's very, very powerful. Uh, it's a perfect buy trigger to Lang. The relative strength index is showing healthy momentum. The 20-day moving average has started cur- curving up, giving you a nice floor of support. So that's underneath the level. That's good. You want that. Uh, L3 Harris does have another ceiling resistance at the 200-day moving average, your red line. 
Uh, but I got to tell you something. That's around 201. I think given how easily it blew over this ceiling, you're going to see that one taken out. That's not a hard hurdle. Lang thinks you can buy some right here, and then you buy some more if it goes down to 185. Remember, that's unusual for a technician. Typically, they would, they would jump ship it once it went down. No, not this one. This is a very strong, very strong chart. L3 and Harris together, really well run. Next up is Lockheed. These are both mergers, Raytheon and this one. Next up is Lockheed Martin. Now, we're seeing a similar trajectory here. The stock got hammered during the meltdown, then started rebounding dramatically. Last week, though, it smashed headfirst into the 200-day moving average, and then it pulled back. But after taking a few days to regroup, Lockheed surged up to 380 today. Well, broke through that resistance, huh? Meanwhile, the MACD made a bullish crossover. Once again, remember how important those are? Right there. Okay. Reliable. Relative strength index showing some strong momentum. See that break out there? All right. Uh, that's still not in really overbought territory. The market itself is really overbought, the, the entire S&P. Money flow stayed positive. All right. So we like to look at all these. Checking money flow. Nice. All right. RSI, nice. This has got everything going for it. Lang recommends buying Lockheed Martin on a pullback to 355 to 360 area. But after today's breakout, I don't know if you're going to get that. I've always liked Lockheed Martin, but it doesn't have the growth that L3 Harris does, and it doesn't have the unseasoned but I like togetherness of Raytheon. Finally, there's the chart of Northrop Grumman. This is my least favorite. Major defense contractor didn't get hit as hard as the others when the market started rolling over. Now that it's rebounding, the stocks erased the bulk of those losses. Northrop Grumman is currently down less than 10% from its all-time highs. Uh-uh. That's too tight for me. I don't want that. I want ones that are down a lot. The chart shows some surprising signs of resilience. Now, you've got to take a look at this shake in money flow. See, it's just been green the whole time. Port measure buying selling pressure. Even when the whole market was getting crushed, it barely dipped into the red from Northrop Grumman. Now it's very strong. RSI, right? Good momentum index. Doing, looking good. Uh, a series of higher highs and higher lows. Best of all, Northrop Grumman has been brushing up against resistance at its 200-day moving average around 348. Today, it broke out above those levels. After this move, Lang predicts smooth sailing. Stock climbs to a new all-time high. Bottom line, in a tough economy, the defense contractors make a ton of sense here. And the charts interpreted by Bob Lang suggest that Raytheon, L3 Harris, Lockheed Martin, and Northrop Grumman could all have substantially more upside going forward. My favorites are Raytheon and L3 Harris. Those are the two I'd buy. Georgie in Pennsylvania. Georgie. Boyer from Pittsburgh, Jim. Hey, what's up? Well, I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. I, I just retired in January at age 73 and thankfully have a considerable portfolio of value dividend-paying stocks. Excellent. My question, thank you. My question is on General Electric, which I bought for my grandchildren's custodial account some time ago, around $13. I'd like to know your thoughts on my also investing in GE at the current low rate for my portfolio to expect a return within the next five years or so. Okay, five years, and then we're okay, Georgie. There was a very negative art, uh, a piece put out this morning by J.P. Morgan. Uh, Steve Tusser is really calling one of the most overvalued uh, names in the entire, entire market. It was very daunting, but I think if you take that long-term review, you're going to be fine. Let's go to Dwight in Texas. Dwight. Booyah. How are you, Jim? Doing good. How about you? Dwight Mars, Houston, Texas. I'm good. H-Town. First-time investor, first-time caller new to the game. Excellent. Um, with the uh, coronavirus going on, everybody's taking a hit. But I'm feeling really, really good deep down inside with 5G. What's your opinion and advice on Marvell, ticker symbol MRVL? Marvell is the number one 5G name. That's why my travel trust has a huge position in it. We're going to talk about that on my conference call for ActionLearnersPlus.com, uh, which is my club call. I think this stock is showing us, Dwight. And it has 5G all over it. Look at that chart, too. It's just fantastic. 
Defense contractors make sense here. The charge suggests that they have more room to run, and boy, do I ever agree. Remember, I like the L3 Harris, and then I like the Raytheon. Much more may have money ahead, including my exclusive with the CEO of Bioreference Labs as the company ramps up its, its coronavirus testing capacity. Wait to hear about the serology. Then, what will it take to reopen the country? I'm giving my take. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. We've slowed the spread of the virus. Everybody wants to get back to normal. But we can't reopen the economy until we have more testing. Otherwise, we'll be right back where we started with a new outbreak that we can't control. At a minimum, we need to test the millions of people who want to come back to work. And then we need to keep testing them. We need contract Contact tracing, so important when we get a flare-up. We can swiftly stamp it out then, which brings me to Bioreference Laboratories. This is the largest full-service specialty laboratory in America. They had their first coronavirus test approved a month ago, and since then they've been ramping up testing in hotspots across the country. When New York and New Jersey opened their first drive-through testing facilities, well, they were run by this outfit, Bioreference. They're testing tens of thousands of people per day now, and that's exactly what we need. So let's check in with Dr. John Cohen. He's the executive chairman of Bioreference Laboratories, get a better sense of what we need in order to roll out mass testing all over America. Dr. Cohen, welcome back to Mad Money. Thanks very much. It's great to be on. Okay, so Dr. Cohen, tell me, what is the bottleneck here? Why are we not getting millions of people tested? Well, you know, Jim, there's, there's two different types of tests. The, the first test, which is the COVID-19, we call PCR test, that's the one that detects the virus. And that's the one that, uh, that all of us are trying to test as many people as possible within a short period of time as possible. The other kind of test is the serology antibody test that everybody's talking about, which will probably be much more helpful to get people back to work because with that kind of test, we could test literally hundreds of thousands of people a day compared to the viral test uh, where we test uh, less people than we can for the uh, serum-based test, which is the serology test. All right, so we've got, uh, at one point, when this started, we had Roche test, um, we had Thermo Fisher, now we have Abbott, Bioreference, will you fill me in where these all fit in and why I can't go up to an empty mall parking lot and just get swabbed? Well, it's a complicated set of us. First off, the, the, the PCR, the COVID test, is a fairly highly complex test. It's, a, it's testing of the virus. What you have to do is you have to get swabbed. We have to isolate the RNA, which is the virus, out of it. We then have to load that onto an automated platform and then run the test and get it back to you. So you mentioned a bunch of the different platforms. So we're, we're running four different of those platforms that you mentioned to get our volumes up to where it is of over 20,000 people a day currently. Um, each one of them requires a different recipe. Each one of them takes a little bit shorter or longer to run. Um, but in the end, you get the same result. But they are different platforms, and it takes an enormous amount of staff and people to get those things running the right way 24-7. You know, we weren't built to do this. Uh, nobody was uh, five weeks ago. We've now tested... 250,000 people in the last four to five weeks on a test that we've never had run before. Well, do you think that we can reopen the economy with just that few number being tested, even though that is monumental given to where we were five weeks ago? I think I think the answer is really the other test is the antibody mm. test, the antibody test, uh, which will be up in the next week to several weeks, again, on, on some limited platforms and then on some high performance platforms with that. With those platforms, we'll be able to run several hundred thousand people a day. The difference is uh, there's two things on, on the serology antibody test. One, it tells you whether or not you have immunity to the disease, we believe. It's like it's basically like having been vaccinated. 
The second is, is we believe it'll restore confidence in people to know that they're working with a lot of people who've been exposed to the disease and now are essentially immune. So those two factors will have an enormous input, uh, enormous impact on getting the economy uh, jump-started again. Wow, that would be really fabulous. That's what we're most worried about. I mean, I see all these, I see very few people who have died who are between the ages of, say, two and 20. Do you think they have immunity? No, I, you know, I'm, I'm a, Jim, you probably know I'm a physician. Right. Uh, I'm, I'm right sitting right in the epicenter of this thing in, in New York and Long Island. Um, this is an incredibly serious disease and it's almost a random, people think it's random about who gets the disease and who dies or gets seriously ill as a result of it. There are people in their, their teens, there are some kids who have it now, there are some pregnant women that have it, but people in their 30s and 40s and 50s have also died. And, and I think the key is going to be to figure out what the genetics are of those people relative to the people who have basically no impact. Um, someone's going to figure that out relatively soon. It's probably related to your immune function, your ability to actually fight off the disease. Uh, but that answer is not available yet. But but I would warn people that, you know, young people and people uh, in their 30s, 40s and 50s get this disease and can die as a result of it. Doctor, there's been a lot of talk about vaccines. But after listening to what you're saying, I mean, we're really far away, it would seem, from a vaccine to this thing. Yeah, I, I've heard what you've heard. You know, I, I don't know if the vaccine is six months away or, or, or a year away, uh, which is why the serology antibody test is could be relatively important. We just don't know how many people actually are walking around who've had the disease. We'll know that within hopefully the next uh, four, six, or eight weeks, whether or not 30% or 50% of the American population we think will actually have had the disease. That'll have a huge impact on what people think and, and again, their confidence to reappear in society and go back to work. Now, you are working with a huge number of organizations, uh, the New York State Department of Health, the Health in uh, Hospitals, State of Jersey, State of Florida, Cities of Detroit, Miami. Are there more that you can do? Because obviously you are the guy that has the, you're doing uh, what I think is, I mean, I read a very, a very tough, difficult article in Atlantic Magazine about other labs. I'm not going to mention it because it's not the point to slag, but you are the high volume guy. Well, there, listen, we're all, there's a, the thing is, there's a couple of national labs. You know, we're all trying to do the best that we can. What we did is, uh, because of our relationship with, uh, with New York State and the uh, actual, the, the governor of New York, Governor Cuomo, uh, you know, had the foresight to say, we need to get testing started early. Um, as a result of that, we did the first drive-through in New Rochelle. We did a bunch of drive-throughs after that. We're now running 40 drive-through testing facilities around the country, which includes, uh, multiple in Florida, Detroit, New York, New Jersey, uh, New York City, et cetera. Uh, we're also running uh, multiple testing for hospitals. We continue to run criticals for the hospitals, with which are the patients who are in the hospital or in the ICU. We, think, we believe and continue to make sure that those patients get a turnaround time of 24 hours or less so that the frontline physicians, nurses, uh, emergency medical folks, and all their staff can get that result as soon as possible to take care of those patients. So yes, we're doing the drive-throughs, we're doing the hospitals, and then we're doing uh, front, we're doing uh, first responders, and then after that, we're doing people who are symptomatic. Huh. So we're trying, we're trying to actually, you know, as you can see, we're trying to prioritize based on specific needs. Uh, but there's a huge need out there still. All right, one last question. Let's say you're on day two, you're not symptomatic, uh, you're definitely going to be able to give it to other people. Can I be sure that I'm detected? You can. If you get a COVID-19 PCR test, it'll tell you whether or not you have the virus currently or don't have the virus. If you have the virus, then you need to stay away from people and hopefully you're not going to get too sick as a result of it. 
And that's where you need to shelter at home for at least 14 days uh, before you go out and expose yourself to other people. The, the, the second part of that is, uh, is eventually after right. you've had the disease is whether or not you test yourself for immunity to see what your immune function looks like, whether you have, uh, you know, it's called IgG, which is immune function, okay. immune function that you may have to the disease. All right. Uh, Dr. Cohen, thank you. Actually, you made this thing really clear for me for the first time. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Thank you. That's Dr. John Cohen. He's chairman of Bioreference Labs. I, that made a lot of sense to me. Mad Money's back after the break. It is time. It's time for the lightning And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Steve? It's time for the lightning round because we're going to start with Paul for you. Paul. Hey, Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Paul. Thanks for my call. Hey, I've been a big fan since I started reading on the street.com a long time ago. Oh, my God. 26 years ago. How can I help? <laughs> it's been a long time. But anyway, my question for you is, what do you think about Alcoa? At this level? I don't like the metals here. I just think the metals are too hard a place to be. So I'm going to say no to that. Let's go to, thanks for reading all those years. Let's go to Joe in Florida. Joe. Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Joe. Hey, you put me on this stock. I've had it since early March. It's run up 50%. What should I do now? Livongo Health. No, man, this is the kind of sweet spot technology company we all need to be able to keep ourselves better, especially after what's happened here. I say you keep it. Glenn Tolman done a great job. Chairman's been a fatter. Let's stick with it. Jack in Ohio. Jack. Hey, thanks for taking my call and helping me out, Jim. Absolutely. Has an excellent dividend track record. Add more oil pass. O-K-E, one oak. One oak did get an upgrade today. It's uh, CFO, Walter Hulse, old friend of mine. I do happen to believe that the dividend looks good, but uh, that whole group is really hurt. Uh, let's go to Leo in Ohio. Leo. Hey, Jim Kramer. How are you? I am good. How about you, Leo? Great. Uh, quick, real quick about Tesla. I bought... Uh, Tesla goes higher, period. I mean, the other guys are just kind of falling by the wayside. There was a guy from Credit Suisse upgraded from sale to hold. All these analysts have still got to get behind it. It goes higher. Brandon in California. Brandon. Hey, Jim. How are you doing today? I am doing well, Brandon. How about you? I'm doing great. Thank you for taking my call today. And thank you for your team for putting on this informative and entertaining show every day. Well, thank you. I appreciate you. you guys. Every day for, I don't know, was this our 16th year? Jeez. What's up? Hey, so I'm looking forward to a long-term bet on Xerox. I'm well, wondering I think what that's you're... a mistake. After what they did to try to buy uh, HP, they embarrassed themselves. Let's go with some people with some dignity. Let's go to Tom in New York. Tom. Oh, yeah. Hello, Kramer. How are you? Play. I am good. How about you? Hey, I miss. I'm okay. I miss uh, Boss San Miguel and the Longshoremen. Hope they come back soon. Uh, close until further notice. Thank you, though. With that, what is your take on Sun Power? I'm trying to relate the two in my own mind. Um, I, I think that uh, I, I, it, I'm not a fan. Not a fan of Sun Power. I, I, you know what the best the best Sun business is in Tesla. So let's just go back to Tesla. Let's go to Troy in Louisiana. Troy. Hey, Jim, thanks for taking my call. Of course, I was uh, wondering about Carnival Cruise Lines, whether or not they're going to have staying power. They had to get a tough back interview to today, a uh, tough interview with, uh, with Sarah and with Wilf. Uh, I am not. I know the bookings are going to be uh, – we are hearing that the bookings are good. Anything's possible. 
Uh, I don't care for the industry. Let's put it that way. Don't care for the industry. Let's go to Kobe in Virginia. Kobe. Hey, booyah, Jim. Booyah, Kobe. Long time listener, first time caller. I was wondering about Pinterest. I thought the Pinterest was good, but they withdrew their guidance and everybody freaked out and they didn't like it. It made me even think that, wow, I mean, the, the, the company's long-term view may not be as viable. Uh, but people say the same thing about Etsy, too. I mean, they're just hitting these stocks. I think they're okay. And that, ladies and gentlemen, conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. where we are right now? We're stuck between a rock and a hard place. We want to reopen the economy, but we don't want another spike in COVID hospitalizations. I can't tell you how torn I am on this topic. On the way, I love business. I celebrate it every day, and I want to open yesterday. I wish everything could go back to normal. I got steaks in two restaurants and an inn. We desperately need to open. We need customers. But we also got to be realistic. I love the attitude I heard on the J.P. Morgan conference call this morning. And, of course, it sent the stock down. They want a disciplined transition to maximize public health and minimize economic disruption. When will it be safe to bring employees back? How about, and this is a quote from them, we will not bring them back to work until we are satisfied we can do it safely, end quote. And when can that be? Well, they won't make predictions. They're waiting for the uh, thumbs up from the CDC and local governments. You know, I, I know that's wishy-washy, but it's actually the right approach. If we open prematurely and cause another huge outbreak, we just have to shut everything down again. Can you imagine? So what needs to happen before America can open for business? All right, first and foremost, we need easy testing. I want one of those Abbott tests I talked about yesterday, the ones being used by healthcare professionals. Once, once I know I'm okay, and more importantly, once I know other people are okay, I'll feel much better. The truth is, even if we lift the lockdown, the economy's not bouncing back until people feel safe to go outside. And testing's how you do it. I also await the serology test we heard about. It's a blood test to really speed things up and it'll find out if we have COVID-19 antibodies. Hey, maybe in six weeks. That's not all I want. I want everyone to wear masks. Everyone. It's ridiculous that masks aren't required in every workplace. Where the heck is OSHA? Does it even exist anymore? I don't want people getting sick at work. And I really don't want them getting me sick. I don't want to get them sick. Hey, listen, I just turned 65. I see those scary ads about my age. You need masks for situations where people can't maintain physical distancing, like on public transportation. Hey, you know what? Give us N95 masks. Make them free to everybody in America. We'd feel great. How about contact tracing? Google and Apple have joined forces to create a system that will let you find out if you've been exposed to someone with COVID-19 from your phone. There's no violation of your civil liberties, although you do have to register with a public health entity so your phone knows when you come in contact with someone who's sick. But the government can't track your location. It only knows you've been exposed. I think that's ideal. I'm also the only person who seems interested about it, but it is a big part of the puzzle. Finally, without a vaccine, which we know won't be available till next year at best, I want an antiviral that can get me out of the hospital quickly if I get sick. Tests, masks, contact tracing, antivirals. Are those too much to ask, really? When we flattened the curve, we did so by sitting in our homes. The whole point of this lockdown was to buy the authorities time, time to build out testing sites, time to set up contact tracing, time to manufacture enough masks. Wasn't that what the delay was about? 
If we try to reopen the economy without this stuff, we could be right back where we started. Remember, we're not like this. We're just flat, you know, like this. Uh, but you give us home testing, testing in abandoned parking lots called malls, blood testing at your doctor for that serology, the Apple Google contact trace, some decent masks, and a drug that can help you get out of the hospital faster. Then you have what you need to be able to have a roaring economy. Without some combination of these things, though, I don't think it's safe for the country to reopen yet. More importantly, I think most people end up just staying home, even if the government lifts the lockdown. You have to make consumers feel safe before they'll start going out again. I just gave you the recipe. End of story. They want to rain on a beautiful health care, technology, consumer packaged goods run here. But tomorrow we hear from United Health. They got to deliver a good quarter. And more importantly, the banks acted terribly today. I went broad, first class, full participation. We can't lose groups because this stock market has gone from here to here. And we got to be careful. Like I said, as always, a bull market summer. I promise I'd find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. I'll see you tomorrow. Markets in turmoil begins right now. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.